0: Welcome to Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. We are giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. Sundays at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m. Monday mornings at 1 a.m. We are streaming live at those times at richarddugan.com and the podcasts, which are the full interview. It could go more than 50 minutes. They are available on SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, Stitcher, Player FM, Blueberry, and a whole lot of other places. Folks are uh, reposting our interviews, too. We encourage you to go to our guest's website. All you have to do is click on their name or on the little grocery cart in the, uh, in the SoundCloud player Or playlist player, if you will. And it takes you to our guest website. We'll give that to you of today's guest in just a moment. And um, we want you to continue your evolutionary process. I think that uh, you are going to really enjoy doing that because it's something that we all need to be doing. Uh, And uh, also, and especially, especially in this 2020, the year of perfect vision What am I talking about? Well, our guest is going to help us to understand that a little bit more as we talk about inner vision, not outer vision. You don't need a new pair of uh, spectacles or uh, contacts. What you need to do is spend time going within, seeking guidance from your intuition, your higher self, divine self, whatever you want to call it. That guidance is always there. One of my guests uh, who we're going to have on the program in the not too distant future again for a return visit, uh, Lumari, has talked about how there are all of these different um, sources of information, but also there are these sources of calm and peace. That's what we want you to tap into right now with everything going on uh, and, and without uh, uh, going into uh, without going into too much more detail in that regard. We want you to spend time with yourself. And I know that sounds kind of strange, but now is the perfect time, folks. But uh, on this program, you're not going to be spending time with yourself. You're going to be spending time with me and my very special guest. He is the author of The Secrets to Living a Fantastic Life, ladies and gentlemen, Uh, basically offered in the format of an enchanting and charming dialogue between the two authors. Uh, The book, in this case, also includes their chronicles of pain and triumph, uh, allegories and stories, stories perfect for this program, along with inspirational, insightful quotes, uh, as well as the exploration of each of the 13 golden pearls it creates a necklace of self-empowerment that will enhance anyone's life. We encourage you to stay with us with our special guest here on the program. I thank him for joining us, Dr. Alan uh, Leica, and we are grateful for your uh, joining us here on the program today.
1: You know, Richard, I'm really, really glad to be here. Thank you for having me as a guest.
0: Uh, you are very welcome. Uh, I also noticed that you have the alphabet after your name B-S-C, H-O-N-S, M-D, F-R-C-P-D, A-B-D, Q-J-Z-W, uh, and then there are a couple of numbers in there, too. I, you know, I comment on that quite often with, p- with people with all of those, uh, uh, those, those letters behind their name because it shows uh, that they have pursued certain areas of interest to them, of course, uh, that... Make them a very well-rounded individual, and um, and and again, we're very grateful that you have joined us here on the program. Uh well, thank Share you with for us. Pointing that
1: out, I have been around a little bit. And, uh, <laughs> those, those letters means years of training and years of knowledge. So they're tokens for all the things that I've done. But the true knowledge is from life experience, and that's what we're going to be talking about today.
0: Absolutely, uh,
1: some wonderful experiences and some, some devastating experiences, and I think you know. Part of the journey we take is knowledge that we get from books, but part of the, the journey we take is the knowledge we get from the School of Hard Knocks, mm. and that's really the toughest teacher.
0: Uh, yeah, it certainly can be. There's no question about it. And of course, the the secret to living a fantastic life, the 13 golden pearls with uh, within, uh, it's just, it's, to me... Uh, uh, quite a quite a journey in and of itself in that I've read, a, a, as we probably all have, um, th- one of my, I have to say one of my favorites. It's not my metaphysical primer, but it is one of my favorites, um, partly because, yes, it did introduce me to my first wife, uh, but the story itself is timeless and it's basically, it's uh, the late Ogmandino, who I was very privileged back in the 80s to have a chance to interview, uh, wrote a book that uh, actually opened the door for a lot of things called The Greatest Miracle in the World. And it talked about, uh, it used a term in there I had never heard before called the rag picker. And, of course, it goes on to tell the story. Well, in our stories, uh, uh, Dr. We, you and I, as well as many of our listeners, I am sure, if not all, we have had those um, moments or periods of of time in our lives when we have been the rag picker. I'll define that in a moment. And we've also been the rag. <laughs> and basically... Yes,
1: I, I'm sure we all have. We all have experienced all of that.
0: Yeah. And the rag picker, folks, is one who picks up as it's phrased in in Og's book uh picks up the refuse, the human refuse of of uh of life the, the basically those who are down and out you could say homeless but it, that en- it encompasses so much more than just the folks who are living on the streets there are people who are living in houses who uh you might consider the rags those who they're they're kind of stuck and so your book talks i'm sure in detail Uh, the secret to living a fantastic life is, is one of the first best places to start is to change one's perspective of what they are seeing.
1: Yeah. Let me explain. I, I think, you know, all of us are affected by everything in our lives. Everything's happening to us, but it's not what happens to you. It's what you do with what happens I think that's the perspective we have to take on. You know, if you're given lemons, you can certainly wallow in the fact that you're given lemons. Or you can make lemonade. Uh, to me, I think like making lemonade is a much more better enterprise <laughs> than dwelling on the lemons. Yeah. And I think all of life is a growth exercise like that. We can concentrate on the pain and the suffering and the misery. Or we can move on and use these as growing points for us to get a better life.
0: You have a co-author with this book, uh, Harriet uh, Tinka?
1: Yes, Harriet Tinka is a wonderful lady. Uh, She's a lady I met as a woman of distinction. When I was a cosmetics doctor, I used to give awards and I partnered with the YWCA to give a woman of distinction award. Harriet had applied for that for a turning point uh, award. And her story is quite amazing in that when she was a student at the University of Calgary studying accounting, she was kidnapped, stabbed, and left for dead.
0: Good grief.
1: It was a big turning point in her life. She could have been, um, she could, she used to be a runway model before that. And and before that, so she basically had to redevelop her life. She had to learn to walk again, she had to learn this. But she also met an amazing little girl by the name of Amber, who was wheeling down the hall. And Amber started a conversation with her and said, Harriet, what are you doing here? And she said, well, I'm here because of this. And uh, Amber said, well, you know, I was in a car accident. I can't walk any longer, and I've lost both my parents. But this is the most amazing day on the planet because I'm still alive. Mm. And Harriet took that to heart and realized it was something to start a new life and start growing and start finding wonderful things in the life instead of the miserable things that had been thrust upon her.
0: A lot of times that's how we look at those traumatic experiences. Uh, and even at the, and, and obviously at that moment, I mean, in in the moment in which she was kidnapped and stabbed and left for dead, uh, you're not looking at that as going, oh, what a blessing. Oh, this is, what a blessing in my life that this has happened to me. It's only after you've healed and worked through the, gone through the process that you can even begin that, that journey of saying, you know what, this has actually opened up some doors I never, ever thought that I would ever go through. Um, and, and that doesn't minimize what anybody goes through. But at the same time, it seems like as I have uh, journeyed in my short almost 60 years on the planet, um, I've been fortunate enough to, to have felt that I have always been in the right place at the right time. I can't recall any really seriously traumatic experiences. I mean, I live here in Southern California, in uh, Central California, in Santa Barbara, and I have faced uh, 12, 13, 14 fires, wildfires. Some of them came very close to where we live. And um, we only had to bug out once. We were only evacuated once during all of those, which was amazing. I have been in a couple of uh, car accidents that um, uh, one of them, uh, I am amazed that I walked away from it. And I was only one of the vehicle, thank goodness. Um, And uh, I look back at those and, and, and they've taught me a lot. But certainly at the time of those particular events, you know, you're not thinking about, oh, well, this is what what lesson, what lesson shall I learn? So I'm curious, uh, uh, Dr. Allen, what was the turning point? What was your turning point?
1: You know, I was uh, actually fairly close to you when my turning point occurred. It was in 2003. I was walking with my wife in Disneyland. And it was the end of the day. It was hot. It was sticky. It was uh, February, but it was like 100 degrees Fahrenheit. And my wife turned to me and said, what's wrong with you, Hut?" Well, I looked at her and I said, what's wrong? I haven't said anything wrong. I haven't done anything wrong. I haven't even thunk anything wrong. But she persisted. She said, what's wrong with you? And I said, what do you mean? She said, your foot is flapping. I said, what do you mean my foot is flapping? I don't think we're on the same planet here. We're not talking. She said, listen to your foot. Well, my right foot had suddenly developed a right foot drop. And with every step I was taking, it was hitting on the pe- pavement. Then she looked at me and said, you better get this checked out when you get ho- when we get home. Now, when your wife tells you, you better get something checked out, you better get it checked out. Oh, yeah. So being a good husband, I listened. <laughs>
0: Well, so I can, was that. Go ahead. Had, go ahead. I was going to say I can relate. My wife uh, has been working in cardiology for over 40 years. And uh, when I was diagnosed with high blood pressure and I hit a high of uh, what was it? Oh, 184 over 120. <clears throat> she says, you're in the stroke zone. You need to go get help, you know, now. And so we made the appointment. Uh, and and I didn't do it just for her, obviously. There's still a lot more I want to accomplish in life uh, for you. Yes for you and this tapping obviously this was a symptom it wasn't the, it wasn't a cause there was another cause to create that you know, symptom what
1: you know i got every test known to man richard uh-huh. i got cat scans i got brain scans i got scan scans <laughs> and you know what they showed at the end of all that uh huh they showed absolutely nothing
0: hear, nothing hear. nothing
1: <laughs> so I went to see a world-class neurologist, you know, a guy that's a specialist in the nerves, that knew everything. I thought he was going to tell me I had a slipped disc or a brain tumor or something like that, but he came and he said, you better be sitting down when I tell you this. Uh Uh-oh. And I said, sitting down? What do you mean? I have a dropped right foot. He says, no, you don't. You have ALS Lou Gehrig's disease. Oh, And in six months, you're going to be dead. Oh, jeez. Wow. I told him, I looked at him and I said, can you prove this diagnosis? He said, of course, on autopsy. (laughs) Wow, what a bedside manner. And I lost it. I said, I'm not going to die to prove you wrong. Yeah. So this was 2003. This was a very primitive. We didn't have the internet like we did now. Yeah. You know, to get on the internet was a very difficult thing. There were dial-up services. You had to, computers had very little memory. So you had to access things with languages like DOS, et cetera. So I hmm. said, what am I going to do? I'm going to start looking for an answer. And I bet you there are other diseases that look like ALS that aren't ALS. So I scanned the internet, and I found a doctor in Colorado Springs, Colorado, by the name of Dr. David Martz. And he had a story similar to mine, but he got worse so much more rapidly that he was on his deathbed. He could barely lift his head from a pillow. When doctors came all around to say goodbye to him, and a doctor came up from Texas and looked at David and said, David, I don't think you have ALS. David mumbled, what do I have? He said, I think you had a bite of a tick. Uh, It's called chronic Lyme's disease, and the tick causes a neurological illness, and when it does, it makes you very, very sick. But he said, the good news is if I'm right, you're going to get better when I start you on treatment. Well, he was started on treatment, and just like Lazarus, he arose from the dead. Wow. 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 So I, I knew at that point I had to talk to David. I, I knew this guy had some answers that I needed to ass- assess. So I phoned all the hospitals in Colorado Springs and I found him at the Methodist hospital and we talked for hours. Now this was in October, in October. No, it was in no Yes. October of 2003 and it was our Thanksgiving weekend and I said, David, uh, can I come down to see me? He said, yes, immediately. I said, I can't. He said, why? I said, it's Thanksgiving. My wife's having 50 people over. She'll kill me. He said, aren't there any planes in Canada? Get on one. Mm. Mm. Well, I knew I had to get down. And I talked to my wife. She said, of course you must go. If this is something that's going to help you, you must go. 50 people is nothing for me. So I got on a plane. The plane went from Edmonton to Uh, Denver great flight but then from Denver to Colorado Springs I got on this real little rinky dink puddle jumper plane and it was the worst flight of my life because late in the day the heat comes off the desert and these it creates eddies so when a plane goes through that it drops like the drop of doom within seconds and it does it over and over and over again So, although the flight's only 15 minutes long, you feel like you're dead at the end of it. (laughs) So, at the end of it, I crawled off the plane, literally crawled off the plane, and I was amazed. David was on the tarmac to meet me. You know, this was 2003. There were all the prohibitions. We weren't all worried about everything. You know, it was around in 9 11, but they hadn't instituted everything to prevent terrorism. So, he, he met me, he drove me home. We talked for hours, and he said, Barry, my name was Barry at that time. That's my nickname. And he said, Barry, there is something I can help you with. I said, what? He said, history is repeating itself. I said, how? He said, I'm going to start you on antibiotics, and you're going to get better.
0: Well, take He that. started <laughs> me on
1: antibiotics, and then for the next 16 years, I remained as one of the top cosmetic doctors in the world. Mm. I was the top of my field. I maintained my status. And I continued to do it till I retired in 2019. But you know, Richard, when you go through this, you look inward. You start looking for the visions. You start looking for the pieces that make your life better and can make your life better. You're given a second chance. You're given an opportunity to live better this way. And that's where I stumbled on the golden pearls. And that's where I met Harriet. And we found we had a commonality and we started writing our book. And our books taken four to eight years to write. It's taken forever. But each of those golden pearls are an amazing piece of wisdom. They're golden things that people can take home. And we've polished those and made it better. Richard, do you know what makes a pearl?
0: I believe it starts out as a grain of sand.
1: It does, it's an irritation inside of an oyster, and that oyster walls it up. Now there's a particular type of oyster that makes a golden pearl, which is extremely rare and extremely beautiful. A solitary golden pearl can sell upwards of $10,000. So it's a very, very beautiful thing. And that's analogous to what we've written here, is really golden pearls that people can use to polish their lives, enhance their lives, and take them to a better level.
0: Hmm. Well, I <clears throat> I find it interesting also that uh, there are uh, there are basically 12, 13. I beg your pardon, 13. So you're talking about a baker's dozen here, as they say.
1: Yeah. Um, yes. You know, a baker's dozen is a very interesting thing. A baker used to give 12, but he wanted to give a bonus. So we gave a bonus here.
0: Ah. So... Tell us, and I'm sure that this is a question that's been asked by uh, everybody that you've spoken with, and I'm sure you've shared this as well, and, and that is um, these, these 13 pearls, uh, these golden pearls, they did not come from literal oysters, where did they? Where did they come from? Where did you connect with these?
1: They came from strife and, and from our hardship. They okay. really came from looking around and seeing how other people have done wonderful things out of life. It was taking that and learning. It wasn't that what happened to us. It's what we do with what happens. Mm-hmm. You know, steel, one of the hardest metals in the world, is forged by fire, uh, and that's and diamonds, diamonds are made from fire and from pressure. So these are diamonds and and steel, things that have been forged from from elements. And, and we found these, we literally looked around and saw what was beautiful in the world and how people had really done a great thing. And I guess the best way I could show people what a golden pearl is, is to use an example.
0: Mm-hmm. Go ahead.
1: Okay, one of my favorite golden pearls is laughter. And, and Richard, when we started the show, I, I I heard your beautiful, beautiful laugh, and I know that's something that's intrinsic in your soul. Laughter is something that takes our mind and body and makes it uniform. It's something that makes the world a much better place. And, and you know, scientists have actually studied laughter.
0: Mm. Mm-hmm. I have there heard that. There
1: was a scientist by the name of Richard Wiseman that he took thousands of jokes and rated them. And he found, after writing all these jokes, the funniest joke in the world. Would you like to hear the funniest joke in the world?
0: (laughs) Sure, absolutely.
1: Okay. There were two hunters. They were out in the woods. They were way up in the high country. And one of them drops down, and he looks like he's dead. His buddy is really alarmed. He didn't know what to do. So he picks up his cell phone, and he phones 911. And he gets in touch with... uh, the operator says operator operator please help me my buddy's dead the operator says calm down sir you know this happens all the time could you please make sure he's dead so the fellow drops the phone on the ground all of a sudden you hear a loud bang he comes back on the phone and says yes he's dead what do i do now
0: Uh, i like it
1: probably the best joke of the world's worst joke at the same time (laughs) but i've yet had anybody not laugh at it It, it's it's so barbaric and so preposterous a person has to laugh at it and there's that's what life is about it's barbaric and preposterous but we have to laugh at it too
0: yeah and and I find it interesting uh, uh, now at where in the space in which we are living today uh, that there are people who are, um, you know, they're coming up with very humorous ways of coping. Uh, I have to say that back in March when this start, really started to take off, I was I was telling people, I said, there's another virus out there that's that's competing with the, um, the Corona, the Corona And they said, well, there is. I says, yeah, it's the Dosequis virus, which is another Mexican beer. Uh, and uh, I also heard a very ironic story about how thirty-eight the 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 um, the manufacturers of Corona beer noticed a 38 percent drop in sales once the coronavirus hit the United States. I'm sure it's gone back up again. Apparently, people thought that if you bought and drank this beer, you'd get the virus. And uh, of course, yeah, I wondered.
1: That's why they've renamed the virus COVID nineteen now because uh, yeah. Corona was was and and it was called corona not because it has anything to do with beer no, not at all it's because the virus looks like it has a crown on it a crown on it
0: exactly it's got all those tiny little crowns all over it and it is amazing to me and of course uh, i know too that in 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 the whole aspect of marketing i've interviewed people who uh, who deal with other countries in terms of marketing, and they were talk. We were talking about China in particular, and how many companies had to change the names of their product in that country because the current name, the U.S. name, was maybe derogatory or it referred to the you know something that was uh, re- sexually explicit and that kind of thing. And I always I always found that very interesting. That okay, hey, you gotta you gotta conform to the culture that you're going into, no matter what you're doing. And uh, so, but anyway, it's uh, sort of a sidebar thing. We're talking with uh, uh, Doctor Doctor Alan Leica, and he is uh, the uh, co-author along with with uh, Harriet uh, Tinka of uh, the Secret, the Secrets plural, Secrets to Living a Fantastic Life. Discover the thirteen golden pearls within. Now, two people had their separate lives changed in uh, in. Uh, irreversibly in an instant by devastating events but rather than be destroyed they used those events as touch points touching points to greater realities and they were given the second chance living a fantastic life and they discovered 13 golden pearls along the way to guide them which they are eager to share with you to help you in your journey. And as uh, the doctor has shared with us already, it's not what happens, it's what you do with what happens. And we encourage you to continue allowing what happens, that is this program, to uh, inform and educate and enlighten you by staying where you are. This is Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. And we'll be right back. Tell me your story. We are back here on Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan, your host. I'm here with Dr. Alan uh, Alecki, and we are talking about uh, the uh, work that he and... Uh, Harriet Tinka have put together The Secrets to Living a Fantastic Life, Discovering the 13 Golden Pearls Within. And again, we thank you so much for uh, sharing this story, your story, as well as uh, as Harriet's. Maybe one day we'll have her on the program as well to, to uh, talk from her perspective. Um, why did you want to go into... Uh, uh, cosmetic surgery, if that's the proper uh, the proper term to use, I used to argue with people over that whole area, thinking, "My God, what is wrong with people? They are so vain." And then I had an experience uh, that I observed. There was a, a something that happened, and I began to realize that in not not in all cases, is it vanity? In many cases, an individual does not feel comfortable with a part of their appearance, a part of their anatomy. And they lack confidence. They lack self-esteem, self-assurance, et cetera, et cetera. And the moment they have this procedure to adjust their appearance, the confidence goes through the roof. Their excitement and living uh, just it, it changes their whole personality so I've really changed my perspective about uh, this type of, of work so I'm curious as to you're, your perspective you're
1: a very smart man because of because of your uh, wisdom there you know when I was a young dermatologist, I once met a person that was a a very bad burn victim who had been the results of a fire, that an explosion, and he came to me and and he said, can you help me? And at that time, we did not have the techniques to really help a person. Years later, we came across lasers that had the ability to help people, and I became one of the world's experts in scar correction as a result. And I'll tell you the story of one young man that came to me, his name was Zul, he had terrible scars all over his body, and these were the result of a disease that he had, but the diseased caused a a little spot but his body produced these terrible ugly scars all over his body for years we literally worked on these scars with our magical laser systems and we've made them better to the point that first of all Zul got married he would never show his body to anybody before this he actually got married and just in at the beginning of March he had a son he said, "This is the mo- Dr. Leike, you're the one that allowed me to have a son. I would never have had a son if it wasn't for you. So you see these things that we think are cosmetic, that are vanity, have very little to do with vanity in most instances. I, I suppose some people are vain, but for most people, these are things that are as bad as having COVID virus. For many people, this is as bad as having a heart disease. So when we repair these, we make people whole again. We're working on a different part of them, and although we work on the medium of their body, or their face, or their, or, their, or their hair for that matter, we are really working on the inner sides of themselves, making them whole and feel whole again. So it's a tool we use to make people have better
0: lives. And that is the key right there, uh, having better lives. Would you say that for the most part throughout your life, and again, just, you know, the total expanse thereof, that you have probably felt as though you have lived or were living a fantastic life? Or was that something that you know, just had to develop? You
1: know, I all the things I've done and all the wonderful things that have happened to me, I, I think I had truly been blessed. You know, I'm I'm a I have four wonderful daughters, I have seven wonderful grandchildren. Uh you know, I have a beautiful wonderful wife that supports me in everything. Uh, we've been married uh, this year, should I better get it right, but upwards of 37 years, <laughs> and it has been a truly an amazing journey that we've been on together. I've traveled around the world. I've seen 70 countries. I've been guests of, of every place in the world. It's been, it's been truly, and look, I'm even a guest on your show today, Richard, which is truly an amazing thing. You know, when you've seen death, every day becomes an amazing thing. You know, I've been living on borrowed time now for 16, 17 years. I think every day that I'm alive, I have an opportunity to make a difference with somebody again. So it's truly an amazing gift.
0: Hmm. Well, you know, it's it it, and and it is indeed it is indeed uh, something that we take for granted sometimes. One of the things that I find interesting especially with the, this period of time uh, in which we live as far as the virus is concerned. When this thing first started to take off back in late February, early March, uh, I wasn't afraid. It's not that I, oh, I, I must be, I, I'm immune. I, I'm immune from all of these things, so I'm good to go. No, um, I, I was very optimistic. I still am, because when, di- when diversity presents itself, when these kinds of challenges present themselves, it opens the door to people's creativity. Now, we've been promoting on this program, Doctor, that not only this being 2020, the year of perfect vision and going within, not only to to find that peace and calm, but to find those 13 golden pearls. Uh, But also, when you are faced with these kinds of things, you have to start looking from the point of Einstein at a different level of consciousness for uh, addressing and dealing with these adversities in terms of doing what it is that you maybe, you know, you've discovered your purpose in life, what have you, uh, your, your goals and what have you. You've got to find new ways of doing it. I mean, for example, here in Santa Barbara, you know, we're a tourist town and restaurants are a big deal. Well, you know, then I know that most of the restaurants probably where you live and I live. Uh, were shut down or curtailed their operations. Uh, I, I deal with a gentleman who deals in the hospitality industry. And he says that before the COVID virus, uh, takeout and, uh, you know, and delivery was only 10% of their income. Well, now it's 100% of their income, but, you know, they say they can't really make it. Well, the reality is they turned it into something that is working. I mean, that we, once a week, I promised my wife, who has been furloughed also for, since March 18th, I says once a week, you pick a restaurant, I'll go there, we'll order the food, I'll go there and pick it up and bring it home. And uh, not just in terms of changing, uh, changing up what we're doing so she doesn't have to do anything in the kitchen, but also to support uh, these, these uh, uh, businesses. Um,
1: yes, I, I think all this allows us to diversify. I think in all of this, we've had to realize that this virus is a serious matter. It's not something to be taken lightly. But at the same time, we have to go on living. Mm -hmm. So I think, uh, you know, staying home for the most part is a good thing. But when you're out and about, you have to be smart about this. I I think a simple thing wearing a mask is something that's Mm -hmm. very important. I think washing your hands several times a day is very very important mm-hmm. i i think it's getting back to the basics if you're in a situation where you're going to be in a bunch of people i think you should be very careful because this virus gets transmitted from people that you don't even know they have it yeah and they don't even know they have it yeah. so this virus is a very sneaky thing yeah so you have to be protected because the persons that it hurts the person that it hits may do nothing or it could turn into a catastrophe where a person is dead within two weeks and we just don't know who's going to be that person and we know certain groups of people are more susceptible but at the same time all groups are susceptible
0: Hmm. and that is one of the things that is so intriguing to me and that's why i have the optimism that i do because people are finding not only new ways of doing the things that they used to do, just second nature and so forth. But they're also coming up with new ways of helping one another, uh, you know, in supporting, whether it be the first responders or people who are in need of food and and so on and so forth. Um, And unfortunately, unfortunately, we have to address this, too, there are also people out there who haven't found new ways of interacting with one another. They're still fighting and carrying on. And it is the stupidest thing I have ever seen in the news. Fighting over toilet paper and this and that and getting in front of someone in line. I mean, I had the experience when I was in the store the other day. I got in the line that wrapped around the, build, wrapped around the inside of the building to go to the checkout stand. And um, this woman, she pulled her cart right in front of me. I had two small bags of frozen corn. That's all I had. And she pulled right in front of me. I says, uh, excuse me, trying to keep a smile on my face. Um, I'm in line here. The, the line is back there. And I kind of raised my corn saying, you've got a full cart. And I just have this corn here. Um, I said, it's, it's back there. And I, again, kept a smile, tried to keep a smile and a little lilt in my voice of, you know, cheer and happiness, not getting frustrated i mean it's one person what uh, how how much of a delay am i really going to have if this one person gets in front of me she apologized and she went back to the back and then it was fine it was no big deal but we're seeing people losing their heads almost literally uh losing their minds over some of the silliest things and now some of these people are in jail now they're facing their adversity doc <laughs> and yeah. they've created yeah, a it. different way, a different way of doing so. But, you know, I, I think in all
1: of this, we have to be kind. Yes. And I think in all of this, one, we got to realize some certain principles. And one is one of being of gratefulness and gratitude and, and principles of giving. You know, I, I think those are simple things that we have to bring home. And, and I think we have to do that. Do you realize that the biggest problem COVID caused is hunger There's so many people that don't have enough food to eat because daily they'd make enough to do their thing. I mean, they'd go and work and they'd have enough food on the table. But when that was severed, yeah. there really isn't the food on the table. And I've seen lines at food banks, uh, pictures of them, going for miles and miles and miles. Yeah. And this is in great places like California and, and Florida, where there should be enough resources to go around. There should be enough people stuff to go around. So I'm going to ask everybody that's on this call to think how they can help somebody today. I'm going to ask them to see how they can pay it forward. I'm going to really challenge your listeners to do something good for other people today rather than think about yourself.
0: Yeah, that's very good. I would encourage people to do that. Um, I've been flipping through here. Um, I think these are important. I was looking at some of the pearls, and you started out the program, we were talking about laughter. Uh, also, there's enthusiasm, there's a tenacity or ten- being tenacious, uh, thankfulness. How about uh, attitude? That's another one, but one that really struck me that I think is so, so important because it is, in my estimation, it is the one thing that can heal us as well as our society and other people. And that's forgiveness. Forgiveness is the essence of love. And love is one of the pearls as well. Uh, tell us about, if, if I am correct the way this is laid out, tell us about your uncle. Was that your story or was that, uh, was that uh, Harriet's?
1: The, the story of the uncle was actually one. A lady approached me and said, could I be part of this book? And I said, how? She said, you know, I have a story that I really want to share. And I said, really, tell me about it. And she told me the story of her uncle. And I, and I was absolutely amazed. All the other stories in this book are from Harriet and I. But this one story was such a gem that I could not just put it away. I really, really had to put it in this book because it really hit my soul. It hit my heart. And I said, wow, this is something that's beyond belief. This is a golden pearl in itself. Mm. And, you know, each one of our, our pearls is anchored by a story. But this story in particular hit me so hard. I said, wow, we have to put this in here.
0: Mm. I encourage you to pick up a copy, folks. Go to the website. I'm going to give that to you here in just a moment and uh, get a copy of the book because I think it's going to help you out. You want to go to D-R-A-L-L-E-N-L-Y-C-K-A dot com. That's Dr. Allen Laika dot com. And we encourage you to get a copy of this uh, wonderful book. I think you're going to be uh, inspired by it. It is called, it is entitled The Secrets of to a fantastic life, Uh, two survivors reveal the 13 golden pearls they have discovered. And uh, you can discover them, too, by going to drallenlaika.com. One of the other things that I was looking at here, and that is um, we talk about looking for those new ways of living, and we've been talking about that for 12-plus years, Okay. That the old ways, obviously, they are not working. All you have to do pre-COVID virus is look around you. They just aren't working. And actually, with the virus, uh, they are brought to forefront and showing that they just don't work anymore. We need to find new ways. And as I was saying earlier, there are people who are finding new ways of of being, of living, of doing, and of helping. Uh, Who would have thought that... You would have had uh, seamstresses across this country and then people who never don't even know how to sew started to sew and create masks, not only for and, and there are factories that are doing this for the first responders, but masks for everybody else to help to. Produ- I mean, my goodness, the whole country's turned out in in a, in a sense. But one of the things that I I say um, uh, is that um, we need to find those new ways of living. That is not to say that where we live today is awful, terrible, icky. We got to get the heck out of here. No, 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 no. We need to be grateful for where we are and what we have right now. And to think about how we can make things even better. I really took umbrage with those uh, three and a half, four five years ago uh, on the national stage who continued to talk about how terrible, how awful and how we were the victims of somebody else's behavior or actions or laws or whatever it was. It's, I, it's like I don't want to play the victim. And so um, I think that that's something we need to look at, uh, Doc, and that is This aspect of thankfulness and what goes along with that, of course, it's a kind of the same thing. They're synonymous. Gratitude. Share with us, uh, if I am reading this again correctly, the Santa story.
1: You know, the Santa story is is something that happened to me. You know, one year I was uh, I had a patient that came into me and she was a an a wonderful, beautiful lady who unfortunately was once a concert pianist and had got a severe mental illness called schizophrenia. And she came in with a skin cancer on her face, and she came in for me to treat it. I was also a doctor that would treat skin cancers at that time. So she we started talking, and, and it was close to Christmas. And I found from her that Christmas was was something she didn't celebrate. And I said, why? And she said, Santa does never come to my house. Well, at that time, this lady, unfortunately, was living on the street. She had no means to live. So we had got her through social workers, et cetera, put into a what I thought was a decent accommodation but it turned out to be a flop house. It was a terrible place. There were drug addicts in the street, in the hallways. There were noise all the time. You could hear screams from various rooms, etc. Well, you know, when I thought, how could I make this lady's Christmas better? I felt maybe we could be Santa for her. So we went to the various stores in in Edmonton, bought some amazing delicacies, some beautiful things, and we brought a big teddy bear for her. And we basically bribed our way to get into her room. We delivered it to her room, going by the drug addicts, everything else, and put it on her bed. And After Christmas, I I asked this young lady, how was, how was Christmas? And she said, it was amazing. And I said, what happened? She said, you know, Santa Claus came to my house. That to me was, was one of the most fundamental things. We gave this to her. We don't want any acknowledge for, it, for it. We don't, don't really care. We wanted to make this lady's Christmas special. And truly, Santa Claus came.
0: Oh, that is fantastic. Um, I will share my own Santa story very briefly here before uh, we move on. Uh, I uh, worked for a Christian station for 10 years back in the 80s, early 90s, from, uh, from 1980 to 95. For 10 years, we had a program. It was called Toys for Joy. And it was kind of along the lines of the Toys for Tots that the Marines do. Uh, But what we did was we would get these cardboard boxes. We printed up these flyers and we would tape them to the box and we would place them at the Christian bookstores and in the churches and and all other uh, religious establishments that would take the boxes. And we would ask them to have their people bring uh, brand new unwrapped toys. And then, of course, we also coordinated with different toy manufacturers to try to get, you know, a supply of toys as well. And then uh, right before Christmas, we would hold a, uh, a party at a, res- at a particular uh, amusement center called uh, uh, Golf and Stuff. And they had a big castle and we were in there. We set up and everything. And uh, the children that would come were from a DES, Department of Economic Security. These were kids who were in the foster system. And, of course, we didn't publicize where the event was going to be held until after the fact because we didn't want the parents of these children to show up and create problems and that type of thing. Well, the focal point of the story was that I was given, the, quite honestly, the privilege for 10 years of playing Santa Claus. And one year I did grow a beard, and that was the, that was a mistake. Needless to say, we, uh, we had this one party. We gave out all of the toys to the kids. And... Um, I was getting ready to leave to go change because my boss actually stopped me one year as I went to take the beard and the hat off out in the area where everybody was. He said, no, no, you don't want to do that. Um, so there I am getting ready to go back into the to, into the restroom to change back into civilian clothes. And this little girl walks up to me and she says, here, Santa. And she handed me two envelopes. And they were written in crayon on the outside to Santa. And on the inside were crayon, Crayola-drawn Christmas cards to Santa. I still have those cards. That was the most touching experience I have to tell you that I have had ever experienced up to that moment in my life. And I was probably in my late 20s, early 30s when that happened. Wow. And that, that is a beautiful story. That's rea- beautiful. I realized that I had a great responsibility because I was representing, even though I wasn't really he, I was representing that personage, that anthropomorphized character, if you will, of kindness and love and giving and 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 so forth. And uh, I took and so it was like that really hammered home that level of responsibility I had. I couldn't goof around and, you know, go get on the get on the roller coaster or whatever it was. Um, and yet at the same time, I was so touched by that little she's probably 20, 20 30 or 35 years old by now. Um, it was it was extraordinary. The whole experience was incredible the 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 types yeah. of of people that have that have came come to you uh, looking for uh, this this aspect of of cosmetic surgery um especially those who are in desperate need of that that uplift if you will the the the, the change in demeanor they say they'll tell you maybe uh, that if if only i had this i would just i would just i would just feel so much better That's that's got to touch you in a place uh, there in your heart that I mean, you're in a position to where most of the time you probably you can do it. Have you ever had an instance where it just wasn't possible? Not because of money, because I'm sure that there are ways for people to to afford to do it, but maybe because uh, they had underlying conditions that would make the, the procedure maybe dangerous.
1: Well, there, there is one underlying uh, thing that makes things very dangerous, and that's unrealistic expectations, ah. people wanting things for the wrong reason. Once I was approached by a young lady, she was uh, 16, she wanted to be a runway model, and she was convinced that if she had a rib taken out, she would be a runway model. It was the rib that was preventing her from being a runway model. She came in with her father and I sat them down and I said, I, I, I basically said, no, this is not what you need. What you need is a better attitude. What you need is to realize this is not what's preventing you from being it. It's your own attitude towards this. You know, to be a runway model is a very difficult job. You have to be willing to accept a lot of, of crap and, and, and stuff. You, you know, it's, it's a very tough job. It, it's, it's a job that very few people want. And very few people have the attitude, really, to be a runway model. I, I learned a lot of this from my co-author, Harriet, of so what it takes to be a runway model. So when I sat them down, they realized that it was a false belief that they had. And this lady, this young girl, did become a runway model. She gave, became one of the best. But the mm. point was, what she needed was not a physical condi- uh, procedure. She needed a change in attitude,
0: mm. and that's one of the pre- one of the pearls as well is attitude. We yes. have a lot of people who've got uh, uh, differing attitudes uh, about whether or not they should stay home, whether or not they should or shouldn't go to work, uh, on and on and on. And I've kind of come up with this perspective. I'll try to keep it brief, Doc. <clears throat> We have in the preamble uh, to the Constitution uh, uh, a phrase in there that talks about promoting the general welfare and securing the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity to future generations. But we also have in the Constitution, and I believe it is in the Bill of Rights, the freedom of speech, the freedom of religion, the freedom of individuality. Uh, I think we also have in there, uh, we have these inalienable rights, uh, and among them are life and liberty, as well as the pursuit of happiness. And I, uh, I thought about that, and I thought, wait a minute, there's a juxtaposition here, and I'd love your perspe- perception, uh, your observation of this, or, or what have you. And that is, on the one hand, it talks about us making sure that we promote the general welfare as well as pre, uh, preserving, you know, uh, uh, the the this life for our posterity. On the other side, we have individual rights. I can do what I want when I want, where I want, how I want. What's your perspective? How do we how do we balance that in this country in particular? Because that's where we live with people who feel like I'm you know, not going to wear a mask hand, and so have, forth.
1: Yeah, on the one hand, we have individual rights. And then, on the other hand, we have rights that are good for groups of people that might, at the same time, supersede the individual rights we have. And I'm going to bring that back to the COVID crisis that we're in right now. Yes. You know, everybody has free will. Everybody has a free determination, and they can do what they want. But, you know, if you do what you want and you have the COVID virus right now, you could be hurting a lot of people and you might be doing it unknowingly. You might be going out there and giving them that virus. And, you know, in people that are older, over the age of 65, that could be a death sentence. In people that are otherwise inclined, this could really hurt them badly. So I think at the same time, you need to balance these two things and you have to balance them in perspective. So that's why I'm asking people to think not only of themselves, but of others in the situation. They have to really realize that we can do things, we can do things together, we can do them in another way, but we can do it in a way that doesn't put these great groups of people at harm and at risk. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where we have to be at in this particular crisis. We have to be more generous. We have to be more understanding. And I'm gonna bring it back to that lady that had the shopping basket the other day. You know, she might have been a young mother that had three children that were driving her crazy because they're all home right now. Mm. She might have had a mother that is very sick in a nursing home because of COVID. Maybe she's a healthcare worker that's a first line worker and is seeing death and dying every day. You know, we don't know people's own situations and own things. Maybe we should put ourselves in other people's shoes for a while and understand what's going on in their lives. And I think that's how we will get through this a little bit better, is to try and understand people a little bit better. And and I've You know, I I trained in the United States. I went to the University of Minnesota. I took my dermatology fellowship there. So I have a great affinity for Americans. You know, Canada, the the Americas, the United States are very, very close. In fact, uh, George Bush Sr. once said, the kinder, gentler America. And I think in some respects, Canada has become that. Not that we're perfect in any means, and I don't ever want to think we are. But I think we have to have a kindness and a gentleness about us and a kinder, gentler America is what I'd like to see at the end of the day.
0: I couldn't agree with you more. Another aspect is uh, this sense of or this lack, uh, this this attitude of lack, that there's not enough and people go out and they hoard, whether it's toilet paper or meat or whatever it is. And uh, there's a biblical passage, if you will, <clears throat> that talks about in the New Testament How, as it's phrased, your heavenly father loves these birds. They don't work, they don't toil, and yet he takes care of them. How much more will he take care of you? Now, I put it on a more universal perspective that I I trust the universe to take care of me. I have to do my part, but I also trust that's going to be okay. Uh, Talk to us a little bit about shifting our attitude from that attitude of lack. to that uh, to an attitude of, an, of, of, of abundance that there is more yes, than that enough do that uh, you know in this
1: book the pearl of abundance didn't quite make it but it's going to be in our second volume of this book because you've got to realize 13 golden pearls are the best pearls we could put together but there's probably <laughs> many more and so we we've actually this book started as 20 golden pearls but it was so thick and so voluminous, we we sh- took a couple out at this point in time. And abundance is one of those. And abundance is a mental attitude. You see, you can look at things as being limited, or you can think look at things as being abundant. And I'm going to take that to a very crude situation, and that's the restaurant situation. You know, there's a McDonald's on almost every corner of, of the United States. And you know, Burger King has realized that they should open up one next door to the uh, to the McDonald's. Now, does that really hurt the McDonald's? Actually, it doesn't. The, suddenly, that pie has actually gotten bigger. Uh, there's more to go around. And when you start thinking of things that way, that when you when there's really an attitude of abundance, you don't look at limitations. You don't look at things that. Are out there as being limited you look at things in a different way you realize by giving you actually get more and and in our book there's one pearl called love did you know that love is one of the few things the more you give the more you get Mm -hmm. you know that that Mm. seems to be a really controversial how can you give something and get more back yeah well that's what you do when you get love And, and that's true of abundance when you give more, you get more. Yeah. And it really sounds like a contradiction in terms. But yeah. it truly is not. It truly is an attitude that you, you should realize.
0: It was shared with me not long ago that um, the, the principle that you just described uh, was expanded upon by this person who said, when you see the world contracting, all right, as in a manner of speaking, as it is doing, that's when you expand. Now, I don't mean by that mean to say that uh, when you see the uh, real estate industry contracting and prices going down, you go out and you buy houses. That's not what I'm saying. It goes to what you are talking about. And also add to that that there is a universal law that I have discovered, and that is along these same lines. It's more reworded than something new. The universal law is that there is always – always always an exchange there is no exception and so when you take something is then taken from you but when you give something is given to you there cannot be a giver without a receiver and vice versa and that's really what it comes down to your thoughts
1: and that again again, when I challenged your audience to do something that's really amazing and that's to pay it forward, you know, you should give and see what happens as a result of giving. I'm saying think of the things that are going on there and the terrible thing that's happened because of COVID is the lack of food in your neighborhood elsewhere. So you, should give to the food banks. You should help them. But also elsewhere, I've helped a couple of places. One is I'm a member of the Rotary Club, and we've realized there's two groups of people that we have helped in the past that even need more help now. And those are people in uh, Brazil and in uh, a place called Belize. Now, Belize, you think, would be a, a very rich country because of all the tourism. Well, there's zero tourism now, and many people are living in villages that really have no food whatsoever. So there are people that are starving. Over 50% of the world right now is starving, and we should be there to help them. I mean, America is a land of such abundance and such beauty and such such amazing things, and yet there are people starving in this world. I find that hard to reconcile in my mind. I find that hard to really believe. And, you know, in my own book, I'm going to be giving 20% of the profits of it to help the inner cities of, of people that buy it so that we can give a little bit back for what we are, are getting. And, and, you know, as an author, you don't make a lot from a book. So 20% is a fair bit to give. But I want to make sure we make a difference.
0: Yeah, Absolutely. I remember this story told by the late uh, singer-songwriter, a storyteller, Harry Chapin, who was talking uh, in an interview. And uh, he was uh, sharing about uh, how, uh, you know, how uh, in school, uh, right around Thanksgiving time, they talk about how, okay, boys and girls, we're going to put away our books right now. And we're going to talk about what we can do to help the the homeless, those who aren't going to have a Thanksgiving dinner, how we can help them. And we're going to start collecting food, and we're going to bring that, and we're going to make a dinner, and we're going to give to... uh, uh, give to all of the um, uh, all of these people. And of course, uh, what a wonderful idea. It's wonderful. Great, 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 great. All right. So Thanksgiving comes and goes and they come in the following Monday morning. And she says, you know, it was an incredible outpouring of love and support and food and everything back at Thanksgiving uh, last week. Uh, but now we're going to set aside our regular curriculum and we're going to talk about what these people are going to do the rest of the year. Now, he puts it this way. He says, now, wouldn't, isn't that a sensible education? Isn't that more important than a lot of the other stuff that we're teaching them? Um, you know, and it's not to say that the other things aren't important. It's frustrating to everyone that we have to spend time teaching kids how to keep themselves safe if a gunman comes on campus or staying away from drugs or, I mean, schools just are not a safe place anymore. But that's just one area where... True religion is helping the children, the orphans, and the elderly. That's what true religion is. And I think that what you're doing and what we're doing here and what others are doing around the country here in Santa Barbara as well, it's amazing the generosity that comes out. Dr. Alan Leike, I want to thank you so much for joining us here on the program and sharing the stories that you have. And we encourage people to pick up a copy of the book. Uh, The book is entitled, as we have been talking throughout this program, the book is entitled The Secrets to Living a Fantastic Life. Uh, My final question to you here in this context, the doctor is, are you living a fantastic life?
1: You know, every day I wake up, the sun still shines. The birds are singing. I have just been so blessed in my life. I can't think of a better, more fantastic life than I've had. And I would encourage everybody to have a fantastic life, too. Remember, it's not what happens to you. It's what you do with what
0: happens. Absolutely. And to go to uh, Leica, com. That's D-R-A-L-L-E-N. L Y C K A dot com. We will be linked to that website as well. And also, if you, uh, when we're able to travel and move about, uh, doctor, would love to have you in Santa Barbara in studio to talk more about this uh, and also about volume two. I'm sure that by the time we get together, you'll have volume two all ready to go. So we look forward to that opportunity.
1: You know, I would love that opportunity. I'll mark it on my calendar. Who knows when that will be right now? But I hope it's sooner rather than later.
0: You and me both. Otherwise, we'll do it on Zoom or Skype, whatever uh, uh, form works, or the phone. It doesn't matter. We get the information out to help to inspire and and enlighten people as well. I have three final questions for you that I like to ask all of my guests. You may have addressed them some uh, during the program, but I still like to ask them directly. But I want to remind our listeners about the podcast podcast Our broadcast podcasts are available on SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, Stitcher, Player FM, as well as other locations, as well as the homepage of RichardDugan.com and the radio show's page. And if you'd like to support what we're doing, you like what we're doing, and you'd like to uh, help us out, we take uh, any financial support you can send us. We'll take energetic healing healing and support. Uh, We have PayPal and Patreon accounts for those financial supports. I do that for security purposes, for your security as well as for mine. And uh, so, if you can do that, wonderful. Okay, so, uh, doctor, the first of the three questions to wrap up our program is, who is Alan Leica? Wow,
1: Doctor Alan Leica is a person that's an enthusiastic individual that was formerly a cosmetic doctor who has now found a new life helping people get to a better life through the principles of 13 Golden Pearls.
0: What is it that you hope to or want to achieve through the work that you're doing now?
1: I hope to serve people more and help them to achieve the goals and prosperity that I have been able to accomplish.
0: And finally, what is your life's purpose?
1: You know, I think my life's purpose, as I've learned to discover, is it's helping other people and helping other people in fundamental ways, in the ways that I can and with the gifts that I've been given. I'm an author. I'm a speaker. I'm a radio guest. I've been a celebrity. If people would like me to speak in their community, I would love to do so. So check me out. Uh, When things start opening up and things start going, I certainly will love to be on a stage near you as
0: well. That's right. You can contact him by going to or sending an email to start with to drallenlaika at gmail.com. Also, a phone number that you have posted on your website, 587-525-5561, 587-525-5561. And again, that email address is drallenlaika.com. And that's with a Y, -Y L-Y-C-K-A, at gmail.com. Doctor, I thank you again for joining us here on the program. It's been a great pleasure. And I thank you for listening to Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. We are giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. And until our next broadcast podcast, love to lol.